All right, guys. So, hey. <laughs> so, Mike Winger put out a video about Bethel, and I got to talk about it. <clears throat> so, this video is um, going to be a little, a little different. Um, it's a gloomy day today. I normally like using natural light, um, just part of my preference uh, artistically. Um, but for the sake of this video, I'm actually going to be recording everything on my webcam because um, I'm actually going to be reacting to Mike Winger's video. That's what this is. That's what the thumbnail says. Uh, Bethel student reacting. <laughs> um, Bethel alumni. So there's a lot that he said and there's a lot to talk about, but this is going to be a longer video. Um, but I just want to give a little intro, uh, what we're going to do. And um, let's, uh, let's talk about it. Hey guys, <clears throat> so let's get into this. It's going to be a long one, um, probably our longest video yet because we're going to do reactions. I'm hoping uh, Mike won't copy strike me, copyright strike me, because um, I'm trying to honestly help give some perspective on this. Um, I'll probably cut some parts here and there, depends, just because it's a long video, but I'm going to do my best to cut this together and the important parts. And the, the goal of this is just to give my perspective as a Bethel alumni and someone who's been there. I watched this video last night with my wife and it was just really sad um, seeing a lot of the stuff. Um, they were kind of trial running a lot of this stuff when I was at Bethel um, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but I have a lot to say about this video. I have a lot to thank Mike Winger for. I think he does a great job on this breakdown. But there's certain things that he missed that I wanted to um, wanted to bring up. And um, not that he did any fault or anything, just I feel like he could have elaborated more and maybe just from lack of knowledge or experience with Bethel, I think I can add to that. So Mike, this is my attempt to add to what you did such an incredible job at. So let's jump into it. Um, and uh, I'll also link his video below, obviously, because it's a great video um, and we'll go from there. All right, here we are. This, uh, this video is, um, or audio if you're listening on podcast, this is not... Um, just an analysis of a book. This is an analysis of a movement mm. using their printed materials in order to understand what's going on with the movement. Um, Beth Which right away is a good point. He's, I've been telling this, saying this in a lot of my videos, that it's not just the church, it's the whole movement. Bethel Church is, is really more than just a church in Redding, California. It's a giant church movement that's impacting places all over the, all over the place. When I posted mm -hmm. that I was going to do this video, there was a comment from someone saying, thank you for making this content. Bethel is having a huge impact in our in our area in Norway. And you guys have been doing the same thing, sending me messages and emails, and I'm blown away. I've gotten Australia, I've gotten Switzerland, England, I've gotten as far as India, um, all over the place. So yes, this is definitely something that's affecting all over the place. I mean, it's just really very, very broad, the impact they have. But sadly, and I do mean sadly, I don't rejoice in this, I don't take any joy in it. Um, I do believe and I'm convinced, and I'm going to give you the evidence as to why, that the, the movement is building a bridge for Christians to head towards the new age, new age beliefs and practices, calling it Christian, um, but also self-deception more broadly, encouraging Christians yep. to move towards self-deception in the yep. name of Christ, in the name of prophecy. And I'm, I'm sorry to make this video. This is new information. I did a video on Bethel a long time ago mm -hmm. <clears throat> where I talked about Bill Johnson and I evaluated his teachings, um, and this is more information I didn't have back then, and I feel compelled to add to it. I would have been more harsh um, yeah. uh, on on Bill Johnson and on the Chris uh, his his um, his prophet yeah. and and the the different teachings that are going on in this in this area. 
I would like to add, so when we first came out, that's one of the first videos we watched was Mike Winger's video. And something I've always loved about Pastor Mike is how, and I know some people hate it about him or they, I don't know if hate's the right word, maybe they're frustrated with him. He is so slow to speak. And I think that's one of the most wonderful things about him is he is so slow to speak and he really wants to do his research. And obviously at times to a fault, he get, he wants to give people the benefit of a doubt. Now I think he's made some, he's called some bad, bad calls, you know? Um, but I do, I, why I love the heart of what pastor Mike does is he's really good. Just so gracious and like wanting to make sure whatever opinion he makes is off of fact, not off of hearsay, not off of gut feelings, just off of what he's read and what he's seen, which is why some people get really frustrated with his calls because he like with Pat, with Joel Osteen, I don't agree with him with Joel Osteen. Um, but I know he's just going off of what he's seen and, and homework he's done or like some of his calls on Todd White. I don't agree with his call on Todd White, but you know, maybe we're tuning a new leaf here. I did not expect Mike Winger to, to go this hard. So yeah. Uh, not hopefully overly harsh, but I would have been more harsh had I known what I know now. And I actually read this book a while back, but I, I just haven't found the time to make a review. So here's a review, and I've discovered a lot of content that I think is very important to share. So um, here we go. This book seeks to build a bridge between Christians and the New Age woo, and it is called The Physics of Heaven. Um, it is endorsed by leaders, and we'll, we'll go through some of the endorsement and messages and stuff. I'm going to read a couple of these names and we'll skip a little bit here. <clears throat> so Judy Franklin, that's the one up top. She was a secretary at Bethel and, um, and he's going to get into this a little bit, <clears throat> but my time as a student, we take two, three days out of the school where Judy would come in and lead us on trips to heaven. This is something that happened regularly for every class as part of her thing. And that's kind of the, the base of this book. There's a couple of big Bethel things that come up with that, but that was a big part of this is Judy Franklin is she's mainly the author author, but she was the lady that took you on trips to heaven. Kind of like Kat Kerr before Kat Kerr was Kat Kerr. Um, couple of these other names, Larry Randolph. He came to speak a lot. Bob Jones. We obviously know as one of the Kansas city pastors. Um, and, uh, he speaks a lot on this stuff. Uh, Ray Hughes, interesting enough. I've done a couple conferences with Ray, um, he is big in the Carolinas at like Morningstar church, but also in IHOP. He's one of those worship pastor, old guard guys, but like, if you know him, you know him. And he spoke on a lot of this stuff at the conferences, uh, actually that we led worship with the Helsers at, uh, it was in Washington state. We got to do a conference with, um, John, with, uh, Johnny and Melissa Helser, which again, some of the sweetest people I've ever met. They really are. Uh, but they've got some bad theology. Um, Cal Pierce. Uh, yeah, he, he's at the Healers at Washington State. I did a ministry with him. Not too familiar with Dan. Jonathan Welton. Uh, I actually did the Welton Academy. <laughs> so not only have I done Bethel, uh, but I did Jonathan Welton's Welton Academy. I did about almost the whole first year, um, but I had to drop out due to just commitments and busyness. But he had a bit of a falling out with his schooling and his school. That's a whole other thing, and I'm probably not the person to talk about that, but let's just say there was a big falling out. Um, and actually really impacted my local church as well in Delaware, where I grew up. Um, so he has a book called Normal Christianity. That was kind of like the layman's version of When Heaven Invades Earth. And he also has a book called um, Victorious Eschatology. And this all kind of ties together. So um, yeah, let's gonna skip ahead a little bit here. Let me find the next timestamp here where he actually starts talking. I say very soberly and seriously, um, I would confront the, if the authors were in, in a church that I was, you know, in a, in a position of leadership and I would confront them with it 
the issues in this book, and then I would not let them fellowship at the church unless they repented. Mm. I would I would disfellowship them over these issues. Absolutely yep. would. Instead, what Bill Johnson has done is he has lifted these authors up in this book up, and he's presented it to others as a model of what to do, of how to do things. It's really it's not good. So let's talk about the book. Let's go through it. Um, so on that note about this is where I agree with Mike wholeheartedly is that this is a big part of what's what's wrong with going on at Bethel is that people keep talking about like, oh, well, they got good theology here. or They've done good stuff here. We've seen a lot of good things. The problem is when you have a book like this and many other books, um, but particularly this book, you have the head of the church endorsing it, writing parts of it and participating in it. And you'll see as we move forward, really being an active member in all this happening. And then we'll pack, we'll backpedal in some ways like, Oh, well that wasn't me. Or like, I was just a forward. It's like, dude, you, you shepherd this like at the core of it. Like he says, you shepherd this, you're responsible for this. And it's not a good look. <clears throat> it starts off with ultimately with bait, the beginning of the book, the physics of heaven, which mixes quantum mysticism and woo with Christianity, trying to bridge them together. And it ultimately loses both re real science and yep. real Christianity on, on along the way. At least it's not compatible with them. Um, but what they do is they start with the idea of revival. And mm -hmm. the, the beginning of the book yep. is sort of laying out the bait of, oh, God has these great things for you. He has amazing supernatural powers that are available mm -hmm. to you and me. And I'm going to give you keys to find those so that you can walk in these super amazing powers that you can have as a Christian. And this is this is basically what BSSM does, the School of Supernatural Ministry. We're going through the book, the, the Supernatural Ways Perfect. We're going to about two more episodes of that. And this is what they do. I mean, also Supernatural Ways of Royalty. Like they they have keys, and we're going to go over this in some future videos, of what, what they can offer you. And it's always around revival. Bethel is a revival culture. It's kingdom revival culture. And if you ever hear a church mentioning kingdom revival culture, bring out your magnifying glass and start digging deep into their doctrines and what they're teaching because that is that is like hardcore Bethel keywords there. And that's what they push. And so stuff like this is yes, is because they offer, they think they have something more that they can offer that no one else can. So um, moving forward. <laughs> and um, the verse they'll use for this to launch off with is Romans 8 verses 18 and 19. Let's look at those and then we'll see what she says about them. <clears throat> for because every every just about every verse that's used in this book is wrong is used incorrectly so we'll look at several of them as we go through and i can say the same thing for what i'm reading the prophetic handbook M most of them are wrong <laughs> for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us to us excuse me <clears throat> for the creation waits with eager longing for the sons for the revealing of the sons of god now this is what judy franklin and and the physics of heaven ultimately says about this I felt like there was more to those verses, so I began earnestly seeking the Lord as to what they meant. He shared that from the day of Pentecost until now, no child of God has ever fully realized the power. This is about Christians needing spiritual awakening and they have, having empowerment. The revelation of the sons of God is us exhibiting supernatural powers in our lives. Whereas in Romans 8, what's actually being discussed is the new creation. The revealing of the sons of God here is when, when Jesus returns and he remakes the world and he and he gives us new bodies all that it's a future reality not a present reality that that's the important thing and i i would add that's actually a majority of these verses in the new testament that bethel uses for this kind of stuff that's what's happening they're claiming things that are supposed to be for the resurrection as in for now so like 
one of the sermons I've heard <clears throat> heard preached um, about this, like for creation was subject to fertility, but because of him who subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. And it goes on to talk about how all of creation is longing for the revealing sons of God. Well, they use that as in a current revival. So as revival happens and as the kingdom is brought forth, that things get better and better and that we have the, basically the job to redeem the curse right now and to essentially reverse everything right now um, rather than realizing these are future verses for when, when, we are, when we're in our resurrected state with Christ. <coughs> Pardon me. And so um, to Paul, let's look at Colossians 3 to see that this verse is being uh, used out of context. So Colossians 3, 4, there's a similar idea. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when Jesus appears, mm -hmm. then you also will appear with him in glory. That's context, the revealing context, of the context, of God. kids. It comes at the second coming of Christ. Yep. Judy's presenting it like a second Pentecost or a, a great a spiritual revival right now, not in the future. Mm -hmm. This This actually feeds into Bill Johnson's theology, too, because he thinks you can... You can, by faith, grab things that are meant for the future that God doesn't even mean for now, and you can pull it into today. And you can ex experience this. This is what we call, uh, what theologians sometimes call an over-realized eschatology. Mm -hmm. um, Nailed basically, it. Basically, you've got wrong timing. Yeah. <laughs> You're no. taking the promises of God and applying them where they don't apply. I'll, I read on. Uh, but sometimes <laughs> we don't even have to pray. Peter merely walked past people, and every disease or infirmity his shadow passed over was healed. I imagine that he wasn't even aware people were being healed by his shadow until they told him. Peter carried the Spirit of God within him. He carried the original power of let there be light, energy, power, light within him. And that's what we should be doing. So my my two cents on that. So that was something that they, I mean, this is nothing new for Bethel. They preach this. That's something we should grasp to like they, that, that, that shadow walking Peter healing thing. That was like, we should have that happen. Like people would actually pray for people in the streets or like, let me walk past you or let my shadow heal you. Like that was something that was actively pursued. So this isn't something new. This is just, they finally put it in writing. Um, and yeah, they, they, they did believe this was normative, not, not a, uh, they saw that almost as a prescriptive text where like, oh, Peter did that. We should all do that. And that's, yeah, she's absolutely, this is nothing new for Bethel. Um, <clears throat> so Psalm 90 uh, does talk about by, by reason of strength, our years might be up to 80 or something, but it doesn't tell you anything about this is how long every human is, is allotted. Everybody's supposed yeah. to live this long. And so you can claim it in the name of God and, and heal anything up until someone's 70 or 80 years old. Yeah. This is a distortion of scripture, but it's an obsession with miracles uh, mm -hmm. that leads to it. Let's just add there. That's what we talked about in our video about Bethel student's life. Um, like I talked about, if you're so pursuing miracles and that's all you're looking for, you stop, you kind of lose your discernment. And that's, that's, this book is the epitome of losing your discernment. That's what this is. And when I talk about in that episode about how, you just start pursuing everything and everything's got to be from God and we can redeem everything. Talking about getting high in the spirit, getting drunk in the spirit, having these experiences, you lose your discernment for what is of God and what isn't. And you, when it's all under the guise of risk and uh, the excitement for miracles, yes, this is what happens. So Peter in scripture, to respond to this, Peter was an anomaly. So they were to see, to laugh is my, and I think after God transformed, It is entirely accurate that Jesus simply declared for a storm to stop. <clears throat> it is entirely accurate that Jesus 
simply declared for a storm to stop. But what she's doing is she's grabbing this, expanding it to be normative mm -hmm. and applying it to every Christian and yep. attaching it to a prophecy about a special sound. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> it's exactly what's happening. And that's exactly what we did. I can't tell you how many times we've heard about hurricanes or tornadoes or a storm or a drought. And we would spend a half hour in school or 20 minutes in school declaring as a, as a class or as students to, to move the storm, to move the tornado, to, for rain to come, like all the time. And so this, what Judy is writing is just a product of the culture she was in. This is what I'm talking about. Like it's, we can't, we can't keep giving these passes of like, oh, this is just the one person. It's like, no, this person is a product of the culture. This person is writing a book as a, pro she's a secretary and this is what she picked up. And so this is a product of the culture that she was a part of there, if she is a part of. And as a student, absolutely, that's what we learned. And yeah, it's it's bad. But if you're part of Bethel or, or of, of those churches that are influencing them, spiritual power is the key. It's the number one thing you're supposed to desire all the time is spiritual. Yes, this is it right here. This is what we were talking about. We've, I, can't, I hate to keep saying this, but this is what we've, in these past few videos I've made, I've only made a couple, but this is what I'm talking about, how miracles above all else, that this is what they want to see. And then when you pursue, pursue miracles, pursue the supernatural, and you have do it without discernment, you get these kind of distorted scriptures and these distorted theologies that lead to stuff like this. Power, spiritual power, miracles, prophecy, dreams, visions, financial prosperity, these are all the things you should be you should be focusing and be unsettled and discontent unless you're achieving these things and that's actually the words that that that's what bill talks about he talks about how he can't he can't settle without a full gospel being preached and he considers a full gospel when miracles are present and so he kind of paints himself into a corner where you have to see this stuff happen and um yeah then, then she goes on, there are many <clears throat> stumbling blocks to be expected as we extract precious truths from worthless. But yeah, and, and this is like, this is what happens. This is what they teach a lot. It's where this, you know, Chris Valden talks about take the meat, spit the bone. We hear that all the time. And this idea of like, hey, there's going to be some good stuff. There's going to be some stuff you disagree with, but take the meat, spit the bone. And it's definitely a culture thing where... And I think that's why they brought Kenneth Copeland in the same idea. It's like, Hey, he may have some sort of crazy stuff. Like Adam was a literal God or whenever he says, I am, I just smile and say, I am too. We can look past that stuff because he's done some good stuff. And you know, they, they don't want to be the people calling out saying they done this wrong, this wrong, because I guess that means they, people have to call them out. Um, but they definitely will look past mistakes and look past things that seem to be, uh, red flags in order to sustain what they call a culture of honor, which is a whole other thing. Yep. They say, quote, the Lord is ready to use sound, light, and energy in ways we never dreamed, but we first need to have some foundational understandings. So God is going to do this. This is uh, So he's going to jump more into this later in the video, but I I'll jump on this right now. Um, this is a big part of Bethel's worship. And there's a, there's a certain album that came out, and we'll, we'll speak on this later. Uh, that Bethel released that touches on this, but they absolutely, the idea of a sound, I can't tell you how many prophecies I've heard or received or given, unfortunately, um, about the sound, about how there's a new sound, there's a new wave. Ray Hughes is a big proponent of this. He talks about, you know, uh, how it used to be A442 and now it's tuned to A440. And for those of you who know, that's like a certain tuning and how that adjustment of tuning 
has changed what, you know, um, or sorry, other way around, it was 440 to 442, one of the two, but how the Nazis did that. And then that turned this into this and that pushed, you know, a new evil corrupt sound and that distorted the waves and there's distortion and how different keys bring different healing. Like you talk about how if you play in the right key of C and the proper A440 tuning, then this will happen. It's like, this is all part of what they do. And it's, it's kind of the undertow of Bethel's worship, honestly, how they want to create such a sound that that's like part of their, what they do is they want a sound of worship that changes atmospheres and does all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's new age practice there. It's like, are, we should be focusing on the sound of worship. We should be focusing on the liturgy and the theology of worship. And is it good? Is it sound theology? That's the only sound thing we should be focusing on for our worship, but it's the opposite with Bethel. It's, is it an actual sound that's going to be influencing people? So that's what this is related to the sound, the light and, and the, and the energy. This is, these aren't vague terms. These are terms for, quantum mysticism about sound teams light teams how excited people are for worship i'm sorry man that's all i could think of you know putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into engineering a killer sound having a certain lighting on the stage that makes you feel a certain way it creates a certain atmosphere it's like this is you know this, this is just par for the course i'm sorry but that's all it is yep. there will come again a noise that i will release from heaven this noise this sound According to them, this is God speaking, will be released. And just as those people in that upper room were changed, people who hear this sound that I will release will be changed. Mm -hmm. While I'm not calling any of my people to sit in an upper room and wait, I am calling them to a place where their spirits are in an upper room position Yep. to receive what I'm about to release. This sound that I will release will cause people to think differently. And this is like, again, going back to Bethel worship. This is why you don't lead Bethel worship songs at your church. But this is like... I can't tell times how like in school, this is what worship was supposed to be like. They talk about how worship needs to change you, how, and there's like a, there's a, a bit of truth, how when we sing healthy theological worship, it confronts our heart and that should change us. Yes. But in the sense they're talking about is that the actual sound will change you, that the actual music will change you. There'll be a change in your heart and that this is like what they're shooting to happen. This is why they do these massive builds where it's like three or four minutes of just like, dun, 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 it goes into a tom break and then we're in a quarter note rush and then we go back down to a, a an eighth note build and then we're you know a 16th note build and then all of a sudden it breaks again and it's like it's it's calls they're trying to it's like i hate to say that they're actively trying to do this but this is the kind of theology that's behind it that is like this is why bethel does what they do and this is why when you go to a bethel worship conference or a bethel worship concert you know, you don't have to like worship music or be a Christian. You just hear it and you're moved by it because it's it's written and produced and engineered and presented in such a way where it moves you and changes you, much like they're saying in this prophecy. Very radical, very big, and also very vague. Let's look at three more quotes from the book. This book is just a precursor to the revelation that God is going to give us when he releases a new transforming sound. There it is, transforming sound. That's what they're shooting for. On page two, the next thing the Lord told me was that soon he would release a sound from heaven that will literally change the structure of how we think. And that's the other thing. They, I can't tell how many times worship and prayer is supposed to be this thing where we get some sort of revelation of inventions, of new ways to do things. Like that's the idea is like in worship, in the presence of God, we pursue the presence of God for this reason because we want to have industry changing things, have market changing things, have these things that bring us great prosperity because we got a download from heaven in the middle of worship that 
we have a revelation and even their guy that runs their um their uh programming school i think he's from south africa that's what he's like that was his whole thing he's got a huge download from heaven on how to do things and it was from worship and he happened that this this is what they're shooting for at any rate this chapter two is called extracting the precious from the worthless and they take that phrase from jeremiah and they use it like you're supposed to go into the new age and the new age has precious and worthless things and you're supposed to pull out the precious things and you could figure it out you'll be able to know what to pull out and bring into christianity then the worthless is what you leave there and this is something that again we did it when i was in school like this and this is like 10 years ago guys like 12 years ago this is nothing new for bethel this is like again this is a product of being in that culture and i forget when this book was written but it, it was after i left but i can say that this is nothing new like they taught this and he's going to hit on this about some of the things the students would do and some of the things that Bethel's done. But, you know, this is how, like this idea of dominionism of how we can take back things and take over things and we'll redeem things. And he goes over why that's not true and what we shouldn't do, which is really, I mean, he does an amazing job at it, but I'm just here to say, yes, that is, that is a hundred percent. And just, just to kind of give the bigger scope of, it's not just this book. Again, it's the culture that, that created this book. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. And and just just a heads up precursor. In in the prophetic training book, they twist Jeremiah as well. They use twenty nine eleven before I know the plans I have for you, um, and they do the same thing. So it's it's again, this is just part of the culture, not exegeting scripture properly or using the context and just saying that's for me. We name it and claim it. But the meaning in the physics of heaven isn't like this. It's not about guarding our hearts to not complain and not take on the wrong beliefs of those around us as we're preaching to them, because that happens. When you go out and you outreach to people, you minister to people, you preach to them, you start to be tempted to take on their false beliefs as part of a way of reaching them, or maybe because we just, we're, we're just like sponges, right? Like we absorb the beliefs of those we're around sometimes. And this is what happens with Bethel's form of ministry. When you're talking about treasure hunts and when they do outreach at New Age conventions and stuff rather than actually proclaiming the gospel and rather than actually you know bringing the heavy words that need to be spoken they really water things down and they want to kind of become part of the culture there so like they will do at at new age conferences they'll do psychic readings rather than saying hey this is a prophetic word like just saying what they're trying to do which is they're trying to prophesy they'll they'll just stick with the they'll use their language um Rather than just saying like, hey, like I could give you a prophetic word and I'll just read you the Bible <laughs> and read what the Bible says about who you are. Uh, no, they're going to give palm readings or psychic readings. And that's what they call them. And I can say this because the church I was a part of, that's kind of what we did. We would do encouraging words or dream interpretations and set up a booth and go to a, a fair and do that. And, and then we'd kind of sneak in the gospel and invite them to church. But that's not at all what we actually, we were being honest about who we were, who we were and what we were doing. We adapted to the culture. And that's exactly what happens here. This is in chapter uh, one or page 14. I think it's still chapter one here. I moved to Sedona, she says. This is where Judy talks about how she learned about the new age. She goes, I moved to Sedona, fully prepared to discount everything I saw and heard as coming from a source other than God I knew, the God I knew in love. And this is where Pastor Chris Roseborough, Fighting for the Faith, his thing on the prophecy, an amazing video, talks about weighing the source of something. Was it from God? Is it from man? What is this from? And she's basically doing the exact opposite of saying, oh no, I'm just, I know it's coming from another source, but I'm still going to give it credit. 
Um, and it's just bad. Loved. But as a scientist, I was intrigued by what I found there. Uh, spoiler, she's not a physicist. She's not a quantum physicist. She, her science stuff has nothing to do with those things. Yeah. Um, I saw healings and mystical experiences and revelations to rival anything I had seen or experienced in the church. Which makes you wonder what's going on at the church. You got to think about it. I hate to be the one to quench the spirit, man. But when this is what they're teaching, this is what the culture brings up. This is what the head shepherd endorses. How do you not know anything else that's coming out of that church? What the source is. Her pastor clearly told her not to worry about the source. So why are they worried about the source of something? As long as it has a reaction, as long as we see something spiritual happen, we're not going to discern it again. Like I said, when all you're pursuing is miracles and prophecies, and that's all you want to see discernment goes out the window. Who cares about the source? Now we are beginning to hear, she says, page 15. Now we're beginning to hear more and more revelation that is in line with what new agers have been saying all along. And we are hearing more and more teaching about Christians taking back truths from the new age that really belong as citizens of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Taking back truths, claiming things. He dives more into it. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but he, yeah, well, you'll see. I think she, at this time she goes to Bethel. Where are they hearing most of their prophecy at Bethel? Bethel is more and more adopting this posture of let's go and claim it. This is why Bethel was okay with, at least for a season, uh, it, it kind of went silent on it. Okay with using tarot cards mm -hmm. and you just call them Christian cards. Yep. Okay with Christians going and doing psychic readings yep. in the name of Christ. Yep. We did that as students. We would put up psychic reading signs and that, that was what we did. Like it was a way to, to quote unquote trick people into coming because we were doing a psychic reading and Chris Valton and many others would just basically say it's all, all psychic is doing is prophesying just from the wrong source. Again, product of the culture. These aren't her original thoughts. These are products of the culture. Yes, I'm, I'm doing a psychic reading, but it's, but I'm doing it as a Christian. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. And um, this is because of this sort of belief. This is not just one book. This is permeating the, 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 the whole movement and the direction of Bethel. Yeah. Um, and they do it in the public teaching by saying things like we have to take back truths that are, yep. that are belong to the children of God. They're part of our inheritance. Um, in this book, there's a rare moment where they just come out and say, yeah, it's from the new age. So this is why this book is something good to highlight. Yeah. So Bethel is a source of that teaching. Uh, the physics of heaven declares that everyone who wrote a chapter in the book agrees about this stuff about going to the new age. Let me show you the quote. This is what the book declares the book that's endorsed by Bethel leadership written by Bethel people including Bill Johnson and Benny Johnson, they've got chapters that they've contributed yeah. to this book. Part of the culture. Again, I can't stress this. This book is a product of the culture. Okay, keep that in mind. This isn't just Judy. Judy's a product of the Bethel culture. And this is endorsed by the leaders who created this culture. They also agree, all the authors, quote, also agree that there are precious truths hidden in the New Age that belong to us Christians and need to be extracted from the worthless. So and a lot of times Bill will use the Proverbs, um, forget the address, but it's the glory of God to conceal the matters and it's the glory of kings to search it out. He used, I, I forget the proverb, but that's what they use a lot of times when it talks about seeking things out and finding the, the God in things, find the glory of God in things. And as kings, it's our job to seek it out. That's what they use. This is, how they back, this is the theology behind this. So, I mean, you can't endorse the book if it's lying about what you believe when it's talking about you. Okay, <laughs> this is a big deal. 
This is a big deal. This is why Bill Johnson's chapters are kind of important. I won't spend a lot of time on them because it's mostly storytelling and, and like parable type stuff. That's what he usually does. Yeah. But here's a, a phrase from Bill Johnson's chapter. He says, we've been given an inheritance of generations. We've been given an inheritance of hundreds of years of mystics, of revivalists, of those who broke into realms of the spirit to leave something as an inheritance. And it needs to matter to someone. Yeah, and that's why they, for the longest time, they had the book on their shelves by John Crowder, The New Mystics, because Benny loves the mystics, um, or she loved them, rest in peace. Uh, she loved the mystics, and uh, I think that, that rubbed off a little bit. Discover the secret things that God has left for us to ma uh, left for us, excuse me, let me read that sentence again. Discovering the secret things that God has left for us has to matter. I believe one of the keys is for us to come to the place where we recover lost mysteries of God by learning how to give honor to those who are willing to sacrifice to make sure those mysteries are reclaimed. It's all very, very vague. You're mm -hmm. not even sure how he would apply it. Yep. But when you put that in this book, it's Bethel supporting um, going into the new age yep. and calling this like a, a type of Christian heroism. Yep. So it's couched as courageous. Another <clears throat> quote from pages 16 and 17. They say, many in the church have tended to write off all dabblings into quantum mysticism as blasphemous and demonically inspired. I mean, yeah. <laughs> However, there are a few courageous Christians who are beginning to speak up and say, wait a minute, there may be some God truth there that really belongs to us and that we should know about, right? Because you can't find it in the Bible, right? Yeah. You got to find it from the New Ager. And right there, Chris Valentin also, often, again, often preaches, not all of God, all of, all of the Bible is in God, but not all of God is in the Bible. That's how you open, again, product of the culture. These are things that Bill and Chris would teach all the time. So that's their way of explaining when they see something that maybe isn't in the Bible or something that may seem extra biblical. It's because of stuff like that, where it's like, oh, not all of, all of the Bible's in God, but not all of God's in the Bible. So as long as it feels like God and looks like God, it must be God. And that's, again, throwing discernment out the window. These Christians are spearheading an effort to extract the precious from the worthless, abusing Jeremiah again, and make those truths available to the church at large. Red alert, they want to promote this to the church at large. Bethel's agenda is to create a worldwide move, but it's a worldwide move that's based on an, an over-obsession with the supernatural yeah. and a practice of fakery mm -hmm. and borrowing from unbiblical and even anti-biblical um, beliefs and practices. Yes. And on top of that, that's the whole point of the school. As students, we're taught that like our job is to take revival to other churches. That That's the whole point of going to BSSM is that you take what Bethel does and you go back to your home church and you, and you spread this. It's, it's a system of bringing them in, teaching them, and basically being mini apostles for Bethel to spread this stuff. So this is, this is all part of the game plan, guys. All right. Chapter five. <clears throat> chapter five in this Poor book Mike. gets into some really He's trying, surprising man. things. It, it does the heavy lifting on making the case for why it's okay for you as a Christian to copy new age practices and beliefs. You think you've heard some of that, but here's more of it. And this is by Jonathan Welton. He's the one who wrote this chapter. It's called authentic versus counterfeit. And this is, and as someone who did the Welton Academy, or at least almost all first year, this is a lot of what he talks about. And there's a hubris to Welton's, um, approach to say the least um where he has a lot of confidence especially in this this case of counterfeit uh, again this is something that he would taught uh i believe it's a normal christianity as well one of his books 
Um, but it's it's very much um, this is par for the course for Mr. Welton. Jonathan Welton teaches that whenever there is a real, there is sure to be a counterfeit. We shouldn't be afraid to examine the counterfeits because God's power to keep us is mightier than the devil's power to steal us away. Jonathan tells us that we need to be much more concerned about reclaiming all of our stolen goods from the enemy than about being afraid of the deception of counterfeits. There is so much entitlement in this theology. I just, I cannot get away from that word. There is so much entitlement. Claiming what is ours, you know, uh, reclaiming our inheritance, our stolen goods. It's, there's just this, this, and it's honestly one of the biggest things that my wife and I have been having to constantly check in our hearts and our spirits. It's like, man, we are not entitled to anything. Like we aren't, we, the only thing I, I can't say entitled, it's just that we, we have been given through the grace of God, like the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Like we're not entitled to that, but they take, they kind of walk past that part of the gospel and just say, okay, now that Jesus done this for us, here's what we're entitled to. And it's like, no, no. It's like the only thing you're quote unquote entitled to, and you're not even entitled to it. It's a gift is just the, the being in righteousness, being to be able to sit in the mercy seat, like, to, to have judgment bestowed upon you, but then Jesus puts himself in your place. Like we're not even entitled. I can't even use the word entitled. Just the word entitled just isn't in the gospel. <laughs> it just doesn't work. But this is, this is entitlement. They're so entitled to all this stuff. And this is what you get when you don't preach a full gospel. Um, that the idea of like Todd White talks about of, of the, the beauty, the, the cost that was paid for you at the cross. Like the cross is a demonstration of your worth. It's like, no, the cross is a demonstration of your wickedness of how much, what it took to, to get you in right standing with God. That's how wicked we are, not how much we're worth. But again, entitlement. This idea of don't be afraid you're, you'll be deceived, it's throughout the book over and over again. And we'll talk a lot more about it. And it need, we need to talk more about it because she got this from Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson doesn't promote her sharing this. She got it from him. Mm-hmm. And she'll tell a story later in another book that she wrote, um, Experiencing the Heavenly Realms where she actually says she was worried that she was being deceived. And Bill Johnson told her not to worry about it, yep. that, uh, that it couldn't happen. Product of the culture. This is, um, uh, we'll get there. It's, it's disturbing. Gosh, Mike is, <clears throat> but feel, consider the logic here. Mike. Jonathan Welton's logic is, Hey, if there's something real, then there's always a counterfeit. Okay. That's not even always true, but that is definitely true. Like there's real money and there's counterfeit money. That's the easiest example. But this changes the way he's applying that principle is, hey, if there's a counterfeit, yeah. then there's something real about the counterfeit. Yeah. Not that there's something real, but there's something real about the counterfeit. And you can learn about the real thing yeah. by studying the counterfeit. And this is, again, uh, Chris Valentin would talk about this sometimes. I want to say it was when Saul and the necromancer uh, and where, where uh, the prophet Samuel appeared. And like he's like, well, something happened there. And he just kind of leave it at that. He's like, I don't know, I don't know what that means, but something happened there. And if the witch could do it, I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> He'd leave it at that. And it's like, how, what else is that? But then you saying that we need to learn something. I don't know. It's like, again, it's just rivet in the culture. That's, you see what he says is not what he means here. <laughs> and so it's it's totally unbiblical though when we get to scripture deuteronomy 12 mm-hmm. specifically refutes this sort of thing deuteronomy 12 29 do it mike do it let's look at the bible here get them 
because if this was a good practice, we, we should see some example in scripture of it happening, mm -hmm. right? We don't. We see the opposite. Yeah. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go to, to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, mm -hmm. take care that you not be ensnared to follow them yep. after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods. See, stuff like this where, like, I feel like if I was a more well-read Christian at the time, being at Bethel, I would be like, oh, yeah, there's that verse in Deuteronomy that talks about not doing this. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, it's just not, again, I don't want to make a stereotype, but it seems like in the charismatic culture, you're not very scholarly when it comes to your Bible. And I've, I've read more Bible in the past three years than I had my whole life, just inquiring on the reformers and their theology and checking them. And I, I check everyone now. Like, I constantly, where's the address for that? And, like, it's just not part of the culture to do that. You just kind of go with the feeling and whatever feels good. And rather than taking a verse like this seriously or even being aware of a verse like this. Saying, how did the nation serve their gods that I may also do the same? Don't even ask. Like, you're not even supposed to find out. I don't want you to even... Don't yep. have a religious program that's just meant to educate you on all the weird things that they did. I don't yeah. want you to be tempted by it. He says, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they've done for their gods. Mm -hmm. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Gosh. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take it or take from it. Extra biblical revelation. Do not add or take away from this word. I know he's talking about the the worshiping him, but goodness, it's it's that extra biblical revelation. We're just adding things to the Bible. We're adding practices to the Bible that just aren't in there. Not adding to it means don't get your spiritual practices from non, in this case, Jewish religions. Mm -hmm. Don't get your spiritual practices from non-Jewish religions outside of what God has revealed in the Old Testament. In this, this is who it's applying to initially is the is the Israelites, right? Yeah. So God doesn't want them to do that. Now, you'd think if the physics of heaven, if this principle was true, that where there's a counterfeit, there's real, and we can extract the real from the counterfeit, God would say, go to the Egyptians and inquire how they worship their gods and extract the precious from the world. This piece of it back, but brain, um, is that God won't let you be deceived. Now, they're going to talk about this a lot, but they think God won't let you be deceived. That's just not going to happen. Of course, he wouldn't allow that. But scripture definitely disagrees with this. So is is deception, and I say this because if, you're, if you've read Physics of Heaven, if you've been part of this movement where you've been encouraged to violate your conscience, that red flag that goes up and says, oh, something's not right here. And they tell you, don't worry about that. God won't let you be deceived. That this is an unbiblical thing and you should, you should back off yep, of it. Yep, yep. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunningness, your thoughts will be led astray from the seer and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Yep. And this is, oh man, this is like where I, I think I, I still have a hard time. I don't know if it's just because of severity of it. <clears throat> I think about like, is this a different spirit? And like, I mean, I would say yes, but then, but then you have to go into as far as questioning people's salvation. And I have a hard time doing that just personally. Like I have a hard time looking at this because there's, a, I'm like, I'm like Mike in a lot of ways where like, I look at these people and I'm like, there's such an earnest zeal there at Bethel of like wanting to see God do things. But where do you just draw the line as far as your discernment goes? And you got to call it out for what it is and be like, yes, and this is just not the gospel. This is not, you know, and I get it when like to Justin Peters and 
the um you know the chris k dubs and the chris roseboroughs and they're like yeah this is a different gospel it's a different spirit and i i'm at the point now like partially thanks to mike's video i was kind of there but hearing mike break things down and really bring the receipts i kind of agree like we're at a different at this point we're, we're at a different spirit there's just kind of it's really hard not to say otherwise Paul was very worried that the Corinthians would be deceived and deceived in a myriad of ways, whether it was differences about Jesus or some mm -hmm. Holy Spirit related stuff, spiritual stuff like what's coming from this book. Um, Galatians chapter four, verses eight through 11. Yeah. Oh, more concerned Galatians. about deception. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, right? When they were pagans. But now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Oof. Gosh, that's paganism. Yeah, you, you nailed it, Mike. You nailed it. You nailed it. Just turning back to it, going back to it. It's like, ugh. He's like, how are you turning back to these sort of pagan things? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. He's deeply concerned about them being deceived. This is kind of like where we talk about scripture isn't written to us, but it's written for us. This is a perfect example of scripture being written for us. Like this is clearly written for us where we need to see that even the early church went through these problems. And as the church today, not be afraid like Paul did to call things out for what they are and, and to see where they've gotten things wrong and how far off the path they are and, and call a spade a spade. But Jonathan Welton wants you to think that you're inerrant, effectively inerrant. Like I, it just can't happen to me. He says many Christians, and this is page 44 in physics of heaven. Many Christians have been afraid to reclaim the authentic, reclaim the authentic, this garbage view. That's not biblical at all. Uh, how can it be authentic when it's from an inauthentic source? It can't. <laughs> That's the point. It's like the practice has come up because it's from an inauthentic source. It's not from God. So if, it, if the source is wrong to begin with, what you're trying to claim as your own is wrong to begin with. It's like you're at a, a horrible presupposition at this point. Because they consider the power of the, of the counterfeit to be overwhelmingly deceiving. The whole, just, just a reminder, the whole purpose of the counterfeit is to deceive you. That's why it's a counterfeit. It's meant to be deceptive. That's the whole function of a counterfeit anyway, yep. is to deceive you into thinking it's real. Yep. And they're like, go, go look at the counterfeit. Find what's real there. Like, it's not real. Don't look at it. I read on. He says, the perception is that one could accidentally fall over the edge and suddenly be operating in the counterfeit without meaning to. It's like the irony. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> just reading that. And you're like, yeah, that's. Kind of what's happening right here, and the and, and just just the again the hubris the pride of like many Christians think they can't do this but we can do it. It's like come on man, where's your humility? Personally, I have a lot more faith in the Lord's ability to. I have a lot more faith. It's like come on man, gosh, keep me than than the devil's ability to steal me away. Jesus said that he has he has us in his hand and no one can snatch us out. Yeah, but it doesn't mean like, it's like saying, gosh, again, I don't want to poke the bear, but again, like just lean on that and saying, oh yeah, that means I can go to all these, like, I'll just go to the club and go to all these parties and do all this. It's like, no, it's like, we need to, 
we're not in we're in the world not of the world it's like just because that's there doesn't mean we're going to put ourselves in situations where we could grossly sin it's like we want to minister to those people reach out to those people but we're not going to make it a habit to participate in things with these people just because it, yeah can i remind you that jesus is the example of being told jump off this building jump off this high place and 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 god will send his angels they won't allow you to have your foot dash against a stone they'll protect you and jesus says don't tempt the lord your god jonathan welton's like hey you could jump on into it you could just leap on into the new age stuff and you will be protected god won't let you be harmed i say don't tempt the lord your god welton goes on to say <clears throat> this brings us to the most important point of this chapter the most important point of chapter five, getting you to not be scared of new age. Here we go. If there is a counterfeit, there is an authentic that we need to find and reclaim. Nope. Every time we see a masquerade, we need to look closely to properly discern what is being counterfeited because a counterfeit is evidence that an authentic exists. Ah, <sighs> oh, guys, it's no, 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 no. I'll let Mike do talking here. Consider the example of counterfeit money. If there is counterfeit money, it proves that there is real authentic money. Just because if people want to burn the body, we don't want any, um, and there I prophecy. I want more of God working in miraculous ways in the church. I also hunger for that. I want more prophecy. I agree. That's an over, over step, right? Like I, I think those things seem biblical. Like I want more prophecy. I want more of God working in miraculous ways in the church. I also hunger for that, but I'm not going to go into the counterfeit to achieve that I, I only want the authentic and I, I yeah see this is why i think i put myself in the cessationist camp i was talking to my wife about this when when you're coming out of this like you you want so badly to perfect a work but you can't lower the the biblical bar of what prophecy is just to see it happen like you just can't do that like it just doesn't work and I feel like I'm not, I'm not accusing Mike of this, but I think that's where he may land is that like, he really wants to see the gifts for today. But every time we see an example of it happening, it's just like, it just keeps going this down this route of abuse, of neglect, of blending with absolute heresy. And it's, and it's hard. Like I, I, I sit in the camp of where if sure God can have a prophecy happen, we can't put him in a box. Absolutely. But if we are considered prophecy, it has to match the biblical standards of what prophecy is just like with apostleship or like with healings, like God can have a healing happen. Absolutely. We can see a miraculous healing. Does that mean someone's also have a gift of healing? I don't think so. And I, I don't think that I have some sort of um, protection where you won't da let my, let me dash my feet against a stone, even if I'm jumping off a building, so to speak. Yeah. Anyway, he goes on. The best response would be to get as many people as possible to use real money so that when counterfeit money appears, it is recognized by all. The fact that there are people operating in counterfeit miracles proves that there are real miracles available to the church. This is the most logically distorted encouragement I've heard. I, I don't understand how the logic works, right? Get a mic. The, here's how counterfeit money works. Many of you have heard this analogy. This is not new to you, right? Counterfeit would, is only real bills. They study that. Who've, and then you start, where's the... Here's another quote from page 43. He says, consider taking... Um, Here's another quote from page 43. He says, consider taking this as a personal challenge. If you see a counterfeit, use it as a signpost that points to the authentic. Their obsession is not the authentic now. Their obsession is the counterfeit. Bingo. 
There it is. And th this goes right in line with the way they practice the prophecy. I think he's going to hit on this. And I just wanted to, I wanted to speak a little bit on that when he comes up to it because there's a lot, again, not that Mike's missing stuff. It's just that Mike doesn't know. I don't think he's actually really taking time to speak with someone that's been in Bethel. And that's why like, I so badly want to talk to him. Uh, <laughs> I would love to talk with you, Mike. Um, but I, this is as close as I can get. We're, we're talking this way, Mike. It works. But that's it. They're not pursuing what, what, what some may say. Again, I'll go back to what I said in the last video. Equating pursuing the prophetic through false prophecy is like finding your white wife through adultery. That's what this is right here. You're doing what is counterfeit, what isn't true marriage, what isn't true prophecy. Uh, you're getting to what that is through doing the counterfeit, which is false prophecy over and over again. That's that's what this is. It's a distortion. Is Everything's flipped. So now we're going to study cults and new age and other false religions to adopt some of their practices and we're going to abuse scripture to proof text us along our way to give us encouragement oh. and, and assume that we're impervious to error. We can't be deceived because God's so powerful, not realizing that, that the issue of your deception is not about God's power, but it's about you straying from what he said. Mm. The issue of your deception is not about God's power. It's about straying from what he said. Amen. That's it right there, Mike. You nailed it. You nailed it. It's there's this pride that like we can do this. It goes back to like you've heard God say it's the serpent in the garden all over again. Like that this is what this is. The the serpent's got him again. All right. I'm just getting started. <laughs> I know. I'm with you, Mike. Here's two more quotes. This quote finally makes it clear exactly what he means in case you in case you couldn't tell. And so no one can no one can say he didn't mean that at this point. With all this talk about counterfeit and authentic, by now you may be scratching your head hoping for examples. The best examples I have found are in the New Age movement. Oh boy. They've been trafficking in the church's stolen goods yeah. for a long time. That's language they use a lot. They use that language right there. Trafficking in church stolen goods. That's that's what they say. I, I no, they haven't. They're just doing new age stuff. I have found that throughout scripture, at least 75 examples of things that the new age has counterfeited, such as having a spirit guide, trances, meditation, auras, power objects, clairvoyance, clairaudience, and more. And I could go off of every single one of these. I mean, spirit guide, that's basically sozos. That's all that is, is you sit down with someone, close your eyes, and they walk you through something. It's a sozo. Trances, all the time at school. That was something that like, if someone went to a trance, it was a big deal. Meditation, soaking, that's what that is. Uh, they soak and soak and soak and they basically, they it's like a form of meditation. Auras, that's like, um, we go back to, the, that's their way of taking the shadows of Peter or like, um, or how you can just walk by someone and someone gets healed or how you can walk into a room in the atmosphere of a room. They talk about how. You should be a ther thermostat, not a thermometer. So you walk into a room and you can release your energy to change that room. Power objects, they take the idea of Peter's or Paul praying of the cloths. They do that all the time where people would run up and like if there's a healer there, they'll run up and bring their jackets and bring items from other people that are sick to have them pray over them. Um, the list just goes on and on. It just goes on and on. And they just take these things and they say, well, the new age took them out of the Bible. And here's our way of doing them. These actually belong to the church, but they've been stolen and cleverly repackaged. Um, so what ultimately he's going to do is he's going to build a bridge. So like, okay, um, 
Paul has a handkerchief and the handkerchief it, it has healing that goes with it. People just touch the handkerchief, they get healed. So this is going to be seen as a power object. But the concept of a power object, that's a new age belief. We're projecting that onto the handkerchief where it was just God doing amazing miracles to yep. draw attention to the gospel. We're going to turn it into like a type of thing that you can have too. They take a descriptive text or a moment that happened and they make it prescriptive. So because it happened once, it's got to happen all the time. You know, that's like saying because Samson had long hair. Now, if everyone has long hair, does Nazareth vow they'll be strong? <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how this works. But they're taking this text, all these different texts, and they're making them prescriptive. I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, who's been going back and forth. And if you watch this video, love you, buddy. Uh, but he talked about how trances, how, you know, what, what about trances? You know, Paul had a trance. I don't think a trance is a prescriptive text. I think that's a descriptive thing that happened to one person uniquely. I don't think we're meant to all go into trances all the time. Um, but that was part of his argument of like, well, what about trances? That's still for today. And I'm like, I, I don't think so. We could all have power objects, right? So what we do is we take new age categories. We drop them on top of on top of biblical events. Mm -hmm. We then make these categories, trances and um, spirit guides mm -hmm. and auras. Auras? Where did you find that in scripture? Um, clairvoyance, clairaudience, and, and more. 75 things. Um, yeah. Yeah. He says... And, he goes on and says, when you see a counterfeit, don't shrink back in fear. Okay, I don't have to be afraid to shrink back. Like, I just go shrink back in disgust is probably the more appropriate response. Yeah, agreed. He says, let this cry rise in your heart. That is mine, and I want it back. Like an entitled little kid. Like a toddler looking at a toy. New Ager goes, I'm going to lead you to contact your dead relatives. And you go, that is mine and I want it back. New Ager goes, we're going to use tarot cards and check your aura and cleanse your aura. That is mine and I want it back. It's my money and I want it now. Let me take you to an example in the New Testament where this is refuted. Acts 19 verses 18 and 19. This is where many people get saved who were into witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Magic. Yep. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, which Oof. is a massive amount of money. Yep. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Yep. This is a great revival moment. And this is why it's not used in Bethel's practices because... They don't exegete scripture right. This would be the perfect text. I'm like, it's not like Bill's first time reading the Bible. He knows it's in there. He could he could say, hey, guys, this is in scripture. Look at this. This is what we should be doing. But no, he doesn't. He, he eggs them on. He encourages them. Again, product of the culture. There is a second book written by uh, Judy Davis. Judy Franklin, excuse me. Uh, Ellen Davis is the other author of The Physics of Heaven, right? So Judy Franklin, she has a second book she's written. And this book is called Experiencing the Heavenly Realm. Mm -hmm. Now, this one, um, it was just most recently updated in 2016. And it was co-authored with Benny Johnson. She, again, that's Bill Johnson's wife. She yep. was a co-pastor for uh, Bethel till she recently tragically died of cancer. Um, and the foreword in this book is done by Bill Johnson. Listen to what he says about... Not just the book, but about the authors, about Judy Davis, Judy, sorry, Judy Franklin and Benny Johnson. He says the following about them. 
These two authors are among the most qualified people I know for such an endeavor to write a book about experiencing God. One is my wife and the other is my secretary. Yikes. This is his endorsement of not only the book, but of their quality in being able to lead others into experiences, spiritual experiences. Yep. It's product it get, of the this culture, This will get man. worse, though, as we keep reading. This is product of the culture. I'm sorry. Some of these quotes are going to be really too small on your screen. I do what I could with the time I had. Um, so here we go, pages 58 and 59 in Experiencing the Heavenly Realm. She says, you first have to realize that it's not unlike seeing with our imaginations. Now, she, she's talking here about how you can have visions and go to heaven. Yeah. How you can go to heaven, take trips to heaven. Yeah. And she leads p people in trips to heaven all the time. Especially in first year, it's part of their program, man. It's just like part of the indoctrination as you take a trip to heaven with Miss Judy. And so she goes, the first thing you got to know is it's not unlike seeing with our imaginations. Bob Jones, the prophet, I would add false in there, uses I, the term. I would too, if you know Pat, Mr. Bob Jones, his past, and also... Again, someone they brought to school regularly to prophesy over us. Sanctified imagination. Pastor Bill Johnson says a sanctified imagination positions you for dreams and visions. The proof text they use for this, by the way, is the mind of Christ. So put on the mind of Christ. Take every, cap every thought captive. This is the idea is that if you have the mind of Christ, then your thoughts are his thoughts and you have a sanctified imagination. That's where this comes from. The core of the spiritual supernatural movement that I've seen at Bethel, that I've examined previously and, and, and examining again now, is imagination, um, the will of man instigating fake yes. miracles and visions and, yep. and prophecy. You nailed it. And here, they're just they're just saying it out loud. Yep. So James Gull, who, by the way, James Gull is also, from what I can tell, he's a false prophet. That, and also, he is the one who helped with the foreword for the Prophetic Training Handbook. Let's keep that in mind. We're going through that. These people just keep showing up. I, I have a video where I evaluated one of his prophecies. Um, I was asked to evaluate it from by Remnant Radio. And it seems that he was, he was reading the newspaper and reporting political speculation as if it was prophecy. I have a video, and that link is down below. Uh, as well as the, the notes from this video, if you want that. Yeah. Anyways, James Gold states, quote, I am, and this is in the book, Experiencing the Heavenly Realm, I am convinced that any believer can develop the seer capacity. Now I can hear people say, that's just vain imagination, and you'll go into error if you imagine stuff. I agree that there's a danger of error if we imagine things, but there's also a danger of missing out on incredibly powerful and godly experiences because of the fear of being deceived. A little bit of leaven. A little bit of yeast. All it takes is a little bit. That's what this is. This is foregoing healthy biblical leadership and discernment for just a cheap trick and a cheap payoff. We'll talk about whether this is biblical in a second, but I just want you to understand how important imagination is in the spiritual practices of Bethel. Um, let's now look at where Judy Franklin got this belief that she won't be deceived. And this is also the same mindset that's used with students, just so you know. So as you read this, this is why I want to do this video. I, I want to back Mike up on this, where Mike is saying this is awful. Yes, Mike, this is terrible. And also, this is what they teach in the schools. This is, this is right back with the schools. Okay? This isn't just the book. Again, products of the culture. This is why people just jump on this stuff. 
fact, and this is this to me is a tragic, s tragic story. This this is a a sad, sad story of Judy Frank Judy Franklin being misled by Bill Johnson, yep. and then becoming being propped up by Bill Johnson as one who misleads others. What about deception? She says on page sixty one of Experiencing the Heavenly Realm. At first, I was worried about being deceived. I think that was that was the Holy Spirit. So one day, I talked to Bill Johnson about my concern. Mm -hmm. He responded by saying, then your God is too small and your devil too big. It's right back to what Jonathan Walton did. You know, it's the same thing. Again, it's not, it's, it's not this, my faith in God. That's the problem. It's my understanding of what he has said. That's the problem. But it sounds a lot better when you talk about, oh, you just have enough faith. It, it puts you in this position of superiority, but this isn't a problem of, of, God's size and the devil's size. This is a problem of you understanding the scripture. I realized that I loved the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit was my guide and my teacher. I trust him to lead me in the righteous path, and I stay accountable to those who are in my life. I know the word, so I'm no longer afraid of being deceived. Fear comes from the enemy, and he doesn't want us to experience God. Gosh. This is the pastoral moment where Bill Johnson utterly failed. And this is where they, they look to Pastor Bill as be our anchor, be a spiritual, be a safe yes. spiritual leader for yes. us as we experiment with supernatural things. Yes. And he leads them into a path of deception. Yes, yes, yes. Mike, you're nailing it and it sucks. And I was telling my wife, it feels like he's about to cry. And I'm with him, man. It's like, gosh, Bill, come on. Like there's... I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that wants to see Bethel turn around and something happen. Great. But like, it's stuff like this where you're like, yeah, man, this isn't just people. We got to stop saying it's just the people. This is the leadership. This is what they're teaching. This is what they're pushing. This is a product of the culture. It sucks. It's hard to see. And it's heartbreaking. And we all, we need this, this approach that Mike has right here where it's like, man, our hearts should break over this. This is a pastoral moment that failed. Judy was trying to figure something out here and her pastor failed her. Because he tells them, don't worry about being deceived. Just don't worry about it. Then she's going to lead you in a prayer. And this is the prayer. She says that she wants you to pray this too. because. She and this prayer reminds me of the declaration they would do for tithing. It's a lot of declarations, a lot of declaring and demanding and expectation things and again and no wonder she prayed i'm guys i'm not kidding what i'm saying like i even had to relearn how to pray i didn't know how to pray right and it's prayers like these i would say and it's just not right she wants to pass on what she learned from bill father i come right now in the name of jesus on the authority of your word i ask for you to open my spiritual eyes help me to see your realm and your world in a clearer way than ever before sanctify my imagination lord right there that's the mind of christ talking about stretch the limitations of what i think hope or believe because now my imagination is under your leadership i'm just going to declare it make my imagination a birthing place for your visions birthing place there it is that's what we're talking about having a birthing experience we talked about in the other video again this is all in the culture man that's that's what i'm talking about it's like this is all laid out right here all laid out right here your dreams, your plan, and your purposes. Help my imagination through the power of your spirit be able to receive what you are speaking and doing. In Jesus' name, amen. This is their prayer, not mine. 
It's on page 64. This is nothing other than saying, I choose to literally close my eyes and imagine God saying things, imagine trips to heaven, mm-hmm. and then say that it's God. This is just like Sozo. This is what Sozo does too. Close your eyes. What do you see the Father showing you? Close your eyes. What do you see? Picture Jesus. How do you picture Jesus? This is exactly what Sozo is. It's just all throughout, man. I'm scared naturally that I'll be deceived, but Pastor Bill has told me I don't need to worry about that. So I'm telling you, you don't need to worry about it either. There's more about imagination in this book, and this is this is this is all connected to the physics of heaven too, because it's the same practice. Everything you see, even if you feel like you're only imagining it, has significance. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Nope. Um, but she had doubts, so she says in chapter uh, or whatever chapter is, page eighty-seven. Again, I wondered if I was just making all this up. This is something that nagged at her over and over again. And again discernment is thrown out the window when everything if it's amazing it's got to be god when this is when you're pursuing prophecies like i talked about man that video if you haven't watched it i'll link it below but this is what i'm talking about where everything has to be of god everything has to be amazing this is what you get so let's explore her doubts more and this is to me this was the this was meant to be the the red flag that pulled her out of this kind of nonsense yeah but instead she went deeper but ultimately because of partly the encouragement of bill johnson yeah Everything you see, uh, excuse me, sorry, um, page 94, as uneasiness about the door came over me, I began to wonder again if I was making this all up. Doors is something they use in Sozo as well, not picturing doors. In my imagination. Then she talks about her biggest stronghold, page 94. Father called me over to him and asked me what was wrong. So I told him that I doubted that all of this was real as she's sitting there in her living room or something with her eyes closed, just imagining everything. I doubted that all of this was real. I sat there with my head in my hands thinking, he asked me again what was wrong. I told him that I had a great fear that he would do something bad to me or that I would go into deception, be crushed by it, and somehow be humiliated. He told me that this thinking was a stronghold of distrust. Sozo language. That's what that is. That's Sozo language. Notice how she's talking about the Godhead. It's like, you pray to God, Holy Spirit, Jesus. This is what Sozo is. This is just another version of Sozo. That I know that she's had and she's went through. She knows Teresa, all these people. That's all this is. So we're, we're not only incorporating this stuff, but this is Sozo. And this is what this looks like when you put it in practice. That I had to go to the wall and chop it down like the rest of the strongholds the Holy Spirit had shown me. Then in 90, page 95, she gets to the who cares point. Well, I thought, even if I am imagining all of this, so what? I love God more. How could that be wrong? Yep. That goes back to the... What if you get the prophecy wrong? Hey, if it's in love, it's totally fine. As long as you love that person, as long as you did it with a good heart, it's okay. It's exactly what this is. It's obviously a major battle where even Judy, the guide into imagining visions and imagining trips to heaven, she's like constantly plagued with, I feel like I'm making this up. And they admit they're making it up. Sanctify my imagination, God. Yeah. This is it. This is the same. When we go to the prophetic handbook, as we talk about, this is what they do. This is not only how they do this, but this is how they do prophecy. And you, they, they don't think it's false prophecy. This is exactly how they do prophecy. Finally, she comes full circle and blames it on Satan. Page 96. Speaking of Satan, she says, he wanted me to think that what I had seen wasn't real, that somehow I had made it up in my own mind, even though she says she's making it up in her own mind earlier on. Like she just says it and then tells yep. you, be ready to make it up in your own mind. Yep. We'll talk about that in a moment, how she guides others into these same 
imaginations. Yeah. Here's the kind of visions that she has. Some examples now, a couple examples of the because this book, um, Experiencing the Heavenly Realms, is filled with dozens of different visions of uh, times she travels to heaven and sees all these different things in her imagination. So here's some examples of it. Then the Holy Spirit and I started to dance again. They, she dances with the Holy Spirit at least five different times in Gosh. her visions here. Um, and this time I wasn't just standing while he danced around me. This dance was the soaring, wasn't the soaring dance we'd done previously, but a deliberate step-by-step -step dance of me learning to follow his lead, learning the gentle pressure of his hand on my back. And the There's a song that Jesus Culture does. It's not the original, it's a cover, but won't you dance with me? Oh, lover of my soul, romance me. This is like, man, this is like, we talk, again, we talk about doing songs. It's stuff like this. This is what these songs produce. Won't you romance me, O oh, lover of my soul, to the song of all songs. Dance with me. This is it. In the subtle movement of his hand in mine, I knew it was to become the dance of two people who would dance a thousand dances together. A couple who would learn to detect even the slightest of nuances from their partner and was able to anticipate a change in direction even before the rhythm became apparent. And this is what I talk about, guys, when we're talking about the, um, the idea of your personal relationship with Jesus, an intimate relationship with Jesus. This is part of their theology. Everyone has their own personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And it's almost like a, a, a game to see who has the more intimate relationship with Jesus. And this is, you know, hers are so intimate. She writes books about them, but I digress. It's like a bad romance novel. Well put. Here's another one. When I awoke, but she says awoke, but she's still, she's, she's here inside of a dream where the, where the, she's climbed up onto the father's chest. We're going to skip this. This is just a way too long. It says, maybe this isn't of the Lord. At Bethel school of here in a chapter called chapter 25 called not only how, but when and where she trains them. She says here in a chapter, I'm just going to, I'm just going to move on. This yeah. is how she trains others to have visions like her. Here we go. This I was there. <laughs> this is it. Mike, you're nailing it, but I was here if you want to talk to someone. <laughs> and not only how, but when and where she trains them. Yep. She says here in a chapter called chapter 25 called Taking Others to Heaven, at Bethel School of Sur Supernatural Ministry, BSSM. Mm -hmm. This is actually at Bethel in Redding, California. They bring people from all over the world to train them in their in their strange uh, supernatural practices and yep. send them out into their churches yep. to change the churches. This has actually caused church splits. I've heard from people who's called oh, churches absolutely. split. It's called church splits. Yes, sir. Indeed. Well, went to Bethel, came back with weird practices, tried to recruit everybody to do these things. And then it ends up causing a lot of tension and, and caused church splits. So she goes at Bethel school of supernatural ministry near the start of each new school term. The leadership has me, Judy Franklin come to do my heaven thing. I share with them how much it looks like imagination, but it comes from one spirit and it is with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this again, she's basically doing a sozo with these kids because when you do a sozo, it's the same thing. You're supposed to sit down and you're supposed to close your eyes and picture. But what they do in school, what this looks like to give you more practical sense, everyone's laying out on the pew, like the chairs and the floor. Basically, everyone's knocked out. They dim the lights they put on some soaking music or they have someone up there playing some swells and light piano stuff. And you close your eyes and Judy's up there on the chair uh, at the school and she walks you through this experience. And it is like, there is a lot of hype around it. It talks about sort of a Disneyland 
feel. Yeah, that's what's happening. Everyone's like, oh, we get to go to heaven. We get to go to heaven. And it's like, this is, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> this is what we're doing though. And this is like two, two, two I can do it two times and um, back to back days. And it's like, this is the whole school day. It's like a three hour session. It's long. And I, 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 honestly, I honestly just fell asleep. <laughs> to be honest with you, I just fell asleep, which was fine. It was a good nap. How do you know? You just trust that it is. Don't worry about it. You can't be deceived. I tell the students to relax and be peaceful because they can't, they can't enter into an encounter when they're striving. By this time, their excitement is palpable in the air, sort of like children going on their first ride at Disneyland. Uh, I think what she does is she tells a bunch of stories of her own examples. I went and I saw this and I saw that. And this yeah. primes them for experiencing yeah. their own sort of self-made visions. Again, that's exactly right. It's, it's It starts off with testimonies of what other people have seen when they go to heaven. It could be second year students that come in. It could be third years. It could be pastors. It could be revival pastors. It could be her. But everyone shares stories about what they did and what they saw and what it was like, what their their version of Jesus looks like. And just when I, now I even say that their version of Jesus, like there's one Jesus and he, he looks one way. There's not your version, my version, his version. There's Jesus. But anyways, I digress. Then she guides them and tells them, use your imagination. It's okay. It's all right. Just trust, you know, God is bigger than Satan. So you can use your, you can just imagine what you want. Um, let me just share one verse that weighs in on this. Please do. Do I need a verse to tell you that you can't just imagine prophecy? Um, apparently. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When you locate your, your vision, your trip to heaven, your prophecy in your own will, I am choosing to experience, I'm choosing to prophecy now. I'm just going to get a prophecy now. I'm just going to get a vision now. You're locating it in the will of man. I so wish that I had a good breakdown of this verse when I was in school. Like, this would have just derailed everything. But I just didn't read my Bible that much. I didn't know the Bible that well. And if I did read this, I would probably come with some terrible interpretation of what it means. But it's stuff like this where we need, oh, we need to be so tender with our approach when we talk to these people sometimes because they're so, their heels are dug in so hard. And just a simple verse like this could just shed so much light. Not in the instigation of the Holy Spirit. So it's not prophecy is what I'm suggesting here. That's how you know it's not prophecy. That's a test. It came from you. So then it's not prophecy. And don't just be like, but the Holy Spirit's going to use my imagination. You're like, yeah, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit part is the fake thing that I'm adding on to the fact that I'm just exactly. I mean, the Holy Spirit's real. (laughs) It's fake that that he's leading your imagination when it's, you're just instigating your own imagination. Exactly. Exactly. Let's look at how else she leads people. We're almost done with her, her, her other book. Uh, <clears throat> same chapter, Taking Others to Heaven. She says, here's how I lead others past their obstacles into the kingdom where they can begin to see with the eyes of the spirit. First, And that's a thing too, is people want to be able to see in the spirit. Seers is a big, is a, is a really sought after gift for some reason. People want to be able to do that. First, I tell them to close their eyes and not to open them until I give them permission. Mm-hmm. Then I tell them to picture Jesus out in front of them. Yep. He doesn't have to be real clear because when I first saw him, it was just shadowy. Again, because for her now, it's really clear. She's she's grown in this. That's a subtle jab, if you haven't noticed. It's not that it's okay. It's like it is, according to that. But it's like as when you when you become a vet like me, he's not going to be so shadowy. But that that's what this is. 
I wait and then ask them to raise their hands if they have a picture of him. Not prophecy, just just literally just your mat. Raise your hand if you can imagine Jesus in your head. Again, the theology is you have the mind of Christ. This, this is where it is. Like I'm, just, I'm telling you now, that's what theology is. This, this is why it makes sense to them. Because the preamble is you have a sanctified mind because you have the mind of Christ. And your thoughts are his thoughts. That's what, that's where this comes from. What's the next step? Next, I tell students to walk up to Jesus and then wait. Right? This is what New Agers do in their guided visions and stuff like that. And in Sozo's as well. Again, spirit guides. Visualization and stuff. Uh, I asked again how many are standing right in front of him. By this time, his presence is growing very strong because we've entered into a heavenly atmosphere where people are anxious for an encounter with the loving God. Yep. No, that's nonsense. Okay, this, You're literally just imagining things. Yep. Then I tell them that he's going to do something. How do I know? Because this is what he told me to do. Yep, and this is, again, exactly what Sozos are. So I know Melissa Daughtery had a good video on Sozos. If you want to know what a Sozo is like, this right here. This is what a Sozo session is. It's basically what she's doing. She's doing a Sozo session. Remember, this book is not spiritual wisdom. <laughs> it's not, but yeah, that's I'm going to say, this is what God told me. That's how I know. Trust me. Take my word for it. I don't understand all the whys and wherefores. I'm just a little girl trying to share the love of my Abba Daddy. This is where it starts to get very interesting. I have them raise their hands. If Jesus has done something, then I go around to them with a microphone and I ask them what he did. Just like with healings, you go around and find out who had a healing and you just use it to stir on and stir on, stir on. Oh, my my back pain went from a, a eight to a three and this went from a five to a one and this is completely gone. And then you egg it on and you egg it on and you egg it on until everyone starts jumping in. It's the same thing with this. Their eyes are still closed because I don't want them to be distracted. Oh, the things I hear. He hugged me. He kissed me. He's dancing with me. He put his hand on my head. It's the touch. Jesus loves to touch us. Isn't that the way love is here in our world? When we love someone, we want to be near them. We want to touch them. Do you really think it's any different with him? Then I tell them he wants to say something to them. Again, exactly what Sozo is. Right, she prompts them. I wait for a while. Then I go to the people who raise their hands in affirmation that Jesus has spoken to them and have them share I love you. I'm proud of you. I have so many wonderful things to show you. I have a plan for your life. This is exactly how they do prophecy. This is their standard for prophecy. It should only be like it's, I have so many wonderful things for you. I have a plan for your life. I'm proud of you. You know, I came across this in treasure hunts. When you're, when you, when you find someone, you start praying for them and you do this. And you give them a word like this, and like, oh, thanks, I'm a, I'm a practicing Wiccan, or oh, thanks, I'm a, X Y Z pagan insert pagan ritual. Would Jesus really say they're proud of them? He's proud of them for that, like, but that's the word I gave, and now I'm now I'm stuck there. What do I do with that? You know, I can't I can't tell them they're a sinner to turn away because I also told them that God's proud of them. It turns out they're also ahead of a coven. So how's that work out? You know. To me, this is basically what looks like is happening, right? Um, this taps deeply into the vulnerability of people and their own insecurities and their hopes and their and their and their sort of weak yep. hearts full of issues, like yep. we all are. Yep. You imagine Jesus, who you know is the source of God's love and 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 the bridge to God for you, um, and so you imagine him and you go up and so. You, you project what you want to hear, what would be fulfilling, what would be joyous. Now, it might even be true. God loves you, right? That's true. But that doesn't mean that in this moment, this Jesus you're imagining is the one saying that yep. and is the real Jesus. Yeah. 
But this did not start with Judy. And this is this is a big issue here. This started with Bill Johnson. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. She is a product of the culture. And I shared this in my initial review of Bill Johnson, his philosophies, his teachings, his his practices and all that. Um, I have video clip footage of it there as well. You guys can check out. I've linked that video down below my assessment of Bill Johnson. But in that video, he talks about how there was no prophetic stuff happening in the church he was part of initially. Yeah. And he wanted to stir up prophecy. So what he did was very similar to what Judy did here. In fact, I would say Judy may have learned it partly from him. Absolutely. Absolutely. He did. had his staff sit down in a staff meeting and he had them close their eyes and mm -hmm. imagine Jesus. And he says, now, what do you think Jesus would say to us right now? Then mm -hmm. they went around the room. I don't remember if they closed their eyes or not. Maybe they did. I don't recall now. The clips in that previous video, you guys can check it out. And they went around the room and they each said what they thought Jesus might say to them as a church if he was present. Yeah, that's exactly it. And this is their standard for prophecy. It's a pretty low bar. Again, we can't lower the bar because we want to see something happen. He went around the room. They all made a statement. They thought, you know, fabricated in their imagination what Jesus might say. Then at the end of it all, he goes, and here I can quote him pretty much word for word. He goes, do you know what you guys just did? You prophesied. Yeah. And they'll also do this where they'll have everyone take a sheet of paper and they'll have you write down a letter to some, like write down a really amazing letter, just whatever God's telling you to write down, you write down and then you think you're writing it for yourself or something. And then you go give that letter to someone else. And then that person is also in tears because you didn't know you were prophesying over that person, writing a letter for him. That's the same exact way they teach us to do prophecy. Same exact thing. He taught them to fake prophecy from their imagination. Yep. This is what Judy teaches Bethel students to do every single year. Yes. I don't know if she's still doing it, but yep, she did yep, for yep. year after year after year. This is what Bethel endorses. This is where Bill Johnson says she's a, one of the best leaders into God experiences you can have. Yep. And she literally just teaches you to fake and imagine prophecy and stuff like this. And also it was a kind of a running joke about like how even our secretary is practicing all the supernatural stuff. Like that's how much it was. That was like the running joke. Um, this is this is not healthy. It's not good. This is why we, we should avoid the teaching. We should avoid the influence yes. that's coming from Bethel. Good and job, part Mike. Of Bethel, I would think that it's it's time to leave. Yep, and I agree. It, there's more. We'll get into more. There's more, but let's let's get into it. Here's the last thing we'll have from this book. Finally, um, and I won't share all of it, but she'll guide you through the process after telling you a bunch of stories and a bunch of revisions and how she leads others. Then, in in, in towards the end. The, towards the last chapter, she's going to say, having your own heavenly encounter. And so she says, in this chapter, I want to help you personally experience the heavenly realm. Yeah. You will notice some repeat material from chapter 25. This is specifically geared toward helping you personally engage with heaven in the same way that the Bethel students did. Mm -hmm. The first thing for you to be mindful of is that the experiences look very much like imagination, but they come from one spirit. Yep, this is exactly what they teach. This is it. This is all laid out. This is exactly it. Just, you're just going to heaven apparently. But I mean, you think about what Paul said, Paul was like, was I, was I caught up I, in earth or, or spirit or body? I do not know. Like for him, it clearly wasn't imagined. Something happened to him. This is you doing something, drumming up something within yourself. Like, like Matt, like uh, Mike was saying. Well, how do you know that? Do we just say it? We just say it and trust it. Cause you know, God's big. So yep. I can say what I want. Yep. While some are leery of imagination, well, not leery, I'm just sober about it. Like, you don't have to be scared of imagination. Just be sober-minded about it. Like scripture says, be sober-minded. I do not believe it should be an item of concern when it's under the lordship of Jesus. That doesn't mean anything, okay? 
that ultimately Jesus is under the lordship of my imagination. If I'm imagining him, imagining words in his mouth and then declaring that he said that, then he's under the lordship of my imagination. Yeah, it's kind of chicken before the egg situation, which came first. In this case, it's your imagination drumming up a Jesus that agrees with you. At that point, he is the author of imagination. Um, okay. It only brings him glory when we consecrate our imagination to him. What does that mean? It's just empty words. No, I can tell you, Mike. I can tell you. It means you have the mind of Christ. Again, that's the scripture they're using. And that's why that's partially why I made this channel, guys. It's just like I know the theology behind the stuff, and that's what that means. Like the, the 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 verses, the addresses behind that is the idea of the mind of Christ. It's how they're exegeting that. Not emptying it, but filling it with heavenly images. So you fill your own imagination with things you imagine from heaven and all right, let's go back to the the book Physics of Heaven. Now that you've got some background, hmm. um, in the book Discovering the Heavenly Realm or Experiencing Heavenly Realms she doesn't say she got any of this from the new age in the physics of heaven which came out later she admits this came from the new age which means probably for years she's teaching others new age practices under yeah. christ yeah but not telling them where she got it yeah physics of heaven was a point where they were bold enough to come out and say it out loud yeah. where they were getting this stuff from so the quiet part that's how it appears this coming new sound isn't just something that you pick up with your ears it's greater. it's greater than anything you can understand it can change dna I don't think these guys talk about DNA, but you're like, do you know what DNA, like you do not want your DNA rando changed. <laughs> it's dangerous. It's caused major medical issues. Well, and it's also a big part of what they do is, you know, everything from the sound and how it's new and it's going to change everything. And the DNA, it's like heavenly DNA is something like that, that kind of language. You have the Lord's DNA. You have the, you're the spiritual DNA of the father. You're exactly the same image of it. It's, it's kind of, kind of creeps into that little God's doctrine, but that's, that's the language we use here that, that, that we would use there at Bethel. So we're genetically growing up. We're becoming like an instrument being tuned where our genetics are getting aligned with the father's genetics. In and also in worship, there's a thing that we would do called tuning the room, part of the sound stuff. And the idea of tuning the room, it's a very new age thing, but it was taught and we would basically take time to really set a precedent. So it could be like as a musician, if you know like the Nashville number system, it's like you just sit on like a three over one and a four going back and forth, going back and forth. It kind of creates this feeling of suspense and this feeling of like something's happening, something's going up, it's growing, and then you then you start doing worship. So you don't you don't start worship until you've tuned the room for maybe a good four or five minutes. But that's how you start worship, and so that that's you know, it all comes full circle. In harmony with him. The father's genetics. My DNA. God has genetics and DNA. Well, he has blood cells that say love on him. Is that like an actual thing? Where God, all in God's heart? God Was that literal or fake? I don't know. It's hard to tell. But God does not have genetics, right? He, he is not physical. Yeah, he's metaphysical. Vibrations, frequencies, and magic woo-woo stuff about uh, radio waves. And they use the... It's related to some real science. Many scientists are convinced those experiences indicate that thoughts... This is quantum physics. Thoughts and emotions, as well as words, carry vibrational frequencies that radiate into our surroundings and not only affect our own thoughts and emotions, but also affect everything and everyone around us. This is the idea, the book, the verse in James about your words create worlds and how they we need to declare things. Again, it comes full circle to all the theology. How you something can't manifest, again, a new age word, it can't happen until you've declared it and you put it out there. It's kind of the uh, the law of attraction kind of stuff. It's all new age stuff, but it's in their prayer. Even the way they pray, uh, it, it leans towards this. When we decree and declare things, we aren't just decreeing and declaring because it's our, our stance we're taking, but we're actually expecting the words to go out and create things to happen. Your words create worlds. The power of life and death in the tongue. That's the whole idea of this. 
So scientists are convinced that your emotions vibrate into the world and affect everyone around you, not your expressions and they perceive your, no, no, like actual vibrations on a Mac, on a microscopic level, a quantum level. Nope. Uh, good. However, if sound is vibrational, then we must understand that it. However, if sound is vibrational, then we must understand that it can stimulate our other senses. What if the men and women at Pentecost had only embraced what they heard? It's possible that they would have missed God altogether. Mm -hmm. Instead, after hearing a new sound, they were willing to allow that sound to cause a synesthetic response. I'll explain that in a second. I'll explain it right now. Here we go. Oops, don't play it, don't play it. Try to get this image up. This is Bethel's album, Synesthesia, Stasia. Um, and <laughs> go here, synesthetic is the idea. So if you ever want your sign, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Again, product of the culture. It's nothing new, guys. This is just part of it. This is their instrumental uh, album they put out. Um, and the idea was to be moved by the music, which it's, I mean, musically, it's really well done. I'll give them that. But this is what they're talking about. A synesthetic response, synesthesia. There it is. So, as you were. In them, through this cross-wiring of their spiritual senses, the neural pathways of the spirit realm created a myriad of spiritual encounters. So the new age is very interested in synesthetic stuff. Like in science, synesthetic responses is like where someone, they see the color blue and it causes it, uh, um, their brain's wiring's kind of messed up and it, it causes them to taste a flavor. Uh-huh. It's kind of the album. That's, yeah. Like it triggers signals of flavor so they can they say they can taste blue but they're not actually tasting what blue objectively tastes like they're 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 having a wiring issue um so that's a synesthetic response but in the new age they want to say like oh no no we're we're tying we're opening your third eye we're tying together all the senses spiritual and sight and sound and it's yeah and it turns into this woo thing that's what she's talking about and that's what this album here that's what we're doing here that's what this is <sighs> It's like right there, guys. It's like this whole album, the whole point was supposed to be like a soaking album. It was supposed to be an, a, an album you can listen to while you're doing something. I mean, it's, it's all right there. I hear that, that at Pentecost, when they heard the sound, they didn't just hear it. They, 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 they saw the sound and they tasted the sound and, and it, none of that's biblical. It's just all new age. We're seeing a rare side of my winger and I like it. I like it. In scripture, it's just God who has power, just by divine fiat. Like he's just like, let there be light, boom, there's light. But we're going to say that the sound itself is the thing that had the power. Yeah. We're going to move the, the power a little bit away from God. We'll still say God's the source of it, but we're going to move it slightly so you can use sound too. That's it. That's the idea. Again, Mike's a nail on this. That's the idea. It's like, it's not, they just take it far enough from God so that they can have some, again, it's like a workspace gospel. It's like they, they just, they, they want to participate a little bit. They need, they need to be able to participate some somehow in the supernatural stuff, just like how they need to participate a little bit in their salvation. It's like, this is where this comes from. And it's, 
it's he's again he's nailing it this is exactly right so this book this this book has chapter nine which is called angel encounters and they talk about how there's going to be a water car that god's giving them it's going to solve an energy crisis i won't get into that there's just too much stuff to talk about um it'll be a water-powered car they said and and i mean sure scientists are always theorizing random and wild things but they're so they go on in page 92 god began to teach me through all this through this angel she was communicating with an angel supposedly about and remember she can just imagine stuff yeah. and say that it's God. Yep. Like this. And there's a, I remember specifically in school where Chris takes the passage about how when the apostles heard, uh, it was an ax, I believe they heard the knocking on the door and they said, it can't be them. It must be an angel. He took that and he exegeted that to the point of, they were so used to encountering angels and so used to seeing angels that it was a normal thing for them. And we should expect the same. Um, and that's how we, so the idea of angels interacting with you and being part of angels is yes. And that the idea of, of interacting with angels is that they're going to provide divine plans and divine things that are going to be divine breakthrough. And that's, that's what they're hoping for. This is, this is a really important principle. The most important thing is just, it's okay to just imagine things and say that that was the Lord. So she says, God began to teach me through this angel about sound and the power of the spoken word. He said that because God spoke his creative will, man can also speak words that create. And Mark and avoid Bobby Connor and Bob Jones for the same reason. These all guys preach the same thing that you can, you can speak things into existence that your words carry the power to create worlds. Teresa Deadman, who was the head of the prophetic, prophetic arts, she would teach this all the time. Your words create worlds. That's the, the power of life and death of the tongue. That's the idea of this, that you can speak things into existence. And it's no different than the new age with manifesting things and, and trying to, to decree and declare things to happen. And that's, that's what this is. This is a false teaching. Yes, it is. Because God spoke and it created, we can speak words that create. You know, the scripture says the power of death and life are in the tongue. Th this is actually not meaning you can proclaim life and someone lives and death and someone dies. That's how they take it. That's how they take it. It's saying that your words have such a big impact in your life that you, due to the consequence of what you say, you could live or die. Yeah. That makes it's sense. a very pragmatic thing about mm -hmm. the power of the tongue. It's not a magical thing at all. No one told them that. That's what. The, that's how they take it. That's absolutely how they take it. Um, you know, you, you chew out your boss and you call them names. You lose your job. You go into poverty. You lose your house. You die on the on the street. That was all the power of words because of you what you said. So the, the power of words in that sense, but not words having their own power. <laughs> that's not the idea. We want radical spiritual revival, radical miracles, radical things. And at the core of how they get that is all these weird practices that are leading into ima vain imaginations instead of real prophecy, um, trips to heaven that are faked and encouraged. People are encouraged to fake. Yeah, this is it. This is exactly what I was saying, how fake it till you make it. That's a, that's a common thing you hear. Just fake it. Just, you know, eventually you'll catch on. It's like, no, it's not like fishing where you just keep throwing a line out there and eventually you've got it. No, but that's what they teach. Um, I remember hearing about how Bethel trains people to prophesy and yep. um, in, in group gatherings. Mm -hmm. And I, I heard it on a, on a tape where, where Bill Johnson said something to the effect of, we don't usually share this in public. Like, like it's meant to be private because they know that people won't like it. And uh, um, listen to this. L listen to this. But they line people up two lines mm -hmm. and they have each, this whole line rather, prophesy just prophesy something to that side yeah what they'll do is they'll he, yes that is one way they'll do it that or just a person next to you and essentially what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, to to pick something out of this person's life like describe their room to them 
you know, describe the room when they were a child, describe something like X, Y, and Z. And that's, you just practice it. That's what you do. That was the idea. You practice the prophetic and this is what we did. And we would do it time and time and time again for weeks practicing the prophetic. Just say something prophetically over there. It doesn't matter if God's leading it or not. And then if you get it right, great. And if not, don't worry about it. Yep. Because they don't care if it's real. Yep. They think that you have the authority in your imagination to just make stuff up and do. This is why you, you could just declare a healing without any prompting by the Holy Spirit genuinely yep. that God is healing that person. You yep. can just declare it. And then the damage that comes around it is what's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, the, the, the damage that comes around that is absolutely terrible. That's where it gets awful. When you start seeing people that are expecting a healing, they're expecting some sort of miracle to happen because you've decreed and declared it. It doesn't happen. People lose their faith. They fall apart and they are gone. When it doesn't happen, like when they had baby, I think it was baby Olive. Yeah, there it is. This little baby who, who passed away so, so sad in their congregation. And they had like a three-day vigil where they were declaring she was going to be mm. raised from the dead. Declaring Awful. it. De not just asking. Declaring and demanding. Awful. And then it didn't happen. Yeah. I'll give you my, my, my outro here in a second. In this chapter, here's a quote from page 163. Benny Johnson shares that God is issuing a clarion, a shrill and clear sound, yeah. calling us to venture into new realms, including realms of vibrations of heaven. Mm. You know, one critic on Twitter, I think, was like, Mike, why are you using this book? It's not even related to Bethel. They don't teach this stuff. Mm. It was just written by one person who... That's the problem, man. It's, all, again, I, I know we're wrapping this up, but it's all in the culture. It's everyone. It's not just... Not just Judy. This is everyone who's doing this. Who happened to attend Bethel. And it's like, that is so far from the truth. It was like Bill's secretary, who he endorses fully, who he yep. helped train in these things. And this is why Bethel uh, has, again, experimented with tarot cards. Yep. Um, there's, there's, there's just a number of weird practices, yep. psychic stuff, um, cards. new age things, faith as a power, yep. um, lasers, things like this, yep. that are all fit under the umbrella of their general beliefs about how spiritual things should be done yeah recently bethel had kenneth copeland come and speak at their he did didn't we and we talked about that we talked about that church and kenneth copeland's a total heretic like he i'll use the term heretic because he actually yep. says things that are fundamentally um yep. counter to the truth of christianity like you can't be a christian and say that yeah you can't just be a christian in error and say that you can't yep. even be a christian and say that like but kenneth copeland's been welcomed yeah and spoken very highly of by bill johnson you having a teaching place in the box say if you're proved that not not with your track record of probably travel and unwrap those things and i would say if you're part of bethel there's probably so many wrong things in your head now from the teaching you received that it would take years for you to unravel and unwrap those things yes yes this is exactly it 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 is not easy to get all this out of your head it takes time and it's extremely difficult and that's why it took me three years before I spoke out because I had a lot of stuff to unravel. I'm still unraveling, but I feel like I got most of it. But it is, Mike, you are spot on. It is not easy to get through this stuff. Not at all. I'm not saying you need to be cessationist and, and deny the gifts of the Spirit. I'm saying that you guys have been trained for as long as Bill has been there. You yep. have been trained to use your imagination mm -hmm. instead of the Holy Spirit to initiate through your own, own will fake spiritual things instead of responding to the initiation of God. Yep. And we can wrap up here with this. This is this is a great way to spot, a great place to stop. And it's right. It's like, that's why I was telling people, even the kenosis of Christ, they're like, well, you renounced that. It's like, yeah, but that went unchecked for years. Unchecked for years. And now there's all this stuff that's gone unchecked for years. And when you're there for so long, 
It's like if you don't stand for anything, you fall for everything. And that's that's exactly what's happening here. So, yeah, I know it's been a, a trudge going through all this, but I appreciate you guys taking time. So, all that to say, thanks for sticking around. Uh, this is a long one. Um, I'm really happy Mike Winger came out and said what he said about everything. I think it was amazing. Um, my wife, especially, she's a huge Mike Winger fan was really excited and just uh, felt very validated in a lot of her feelings with what he said. Um, so Mike, if you see this, we love you, man. Um, thank you so much for putting that video together. I would love to talk to you sometime if you're up for it. Um, but thank you so much. That was an incredibly well done video and um, just so thankful for your work and what you're doing. And I think that you speaking out on this means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, cause you just, you are so slow to speak and I really appreciate that about you of how slow you are to give an opinion on something. I know some people can go crazy over it and they want you to say something, but I appreciate how much effort you put into stuff. So thank you for speaking out on this. If you ever want to talk, let me know I'm up for it. And, um, thanks everyone for watching. Appreciate it.